0: Welcome back, Poison Pals, to another episode of That Shit is Poison with your host, Megan Gesner and Harini Bot.
1: <laughs> Sorry, I lagged for a second, so I didn't
0: know if you said your name yet. I not. did. I did. That's okay. But yeah. Welcome back, Poison Pals. Mm-hmm. We are coming back into our regularly scheduled yes! non-spooktober um, Think what? <laughs> content. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed our month of yeah. spooky episodes. We sure had a good time. But mm-hmm. it's time to get back to the science. Yes, the science of it all. Honestly, I was super excited to jump back
1: into our regular content. Not that I didn't love the spooker Tober, the Spooktober series and the Spooky dookie series. But I realized, Megan, because wh- when I think of like podcasts and like what podcasts would I want to start or talk about, talking about like folklore type things or like scary stories that has been traditionally a subject matter that I've always been interested in so it was really exciting for us to do that for at least a month but then I realized your girl can't hang (laughs) I got so freaking scared like yeah I got genuinely scared by some of the stories that we told it was obviously all in good fun but Mm -hmm. I think if we like did that regularly I would have a problem
0: (laughs) yeah for sure I um, what i find really fascinating about how we handle scary stuff is Harini you I think like you love spooky witchy Halloween themed stuff probably a lot more than me but when it comes down to the actual getting scared I gotta say you're a little a little bit scaredy cat
1: and oh, I'm and 100% scaredy cat
0: but I love that I love that you like love scary things but you're a little scared cat i (laughs) am i would say i get scared of things too like especially if it's a scary movie that's like super psych psychological or whatever Mm -hmm. but if i'm telling the story or hearing it from you or something i don't get scared as much like i i relish in it like i love just hearing like the folklore or whatever but it's hard for me to get scared myself when we're yeah. th- when we're talking about mm-hmm. it just an and observation
1: that's, that's a total rational mindset my mind just has a crazy imagination that just goes running wild <laughs> like <laughs> you could tell me anything and my mind will take it to the extreme <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but i think that's part of the fun of it like i i really enjoy that aspect i when you were saying that though it took me back to to when we first when i first met drew i think which mm-hmm. is when we all watched mama together
0: mm-hmm and oh, that's right. Yes. Secretly
1: yes. inside, I was thrilled that that stream or the Wi-Fi was so bad that it kept buffering every two seconds. I was like, "Thank the Lord," because I don't want to watch this right now, and <laughs> I was terrified watching it. But I was just like saving face for myself. And there was another reprieve because once things started to actually get going and we're starting to watch the movie, I was like, "Oh fuck, okay, here we go." But then, yeah, yeah. UCSD unleash the gates for all the the science majors so everyone's like oh we gotta pause the movie and change our majors <laughs> yeah. right right so I,
0: it it was great it was great we yeah. didn't actually get to watch it Harini is bringing up a really good memory of when we were freshmen in college we did watch like a lot of scary movies in the dorms or attempted to at least mm. and i remember in our own dorm hall we yeah. went to the boys suite and tried to watch like Insidious right. together or something or like some sort of scary movie like that cuz Insidious was really big at the time. Mm-hmm. And then as Harini just mentioned, then we went to meeting up with another friend, a mutual friend of ours who lived in mirror, oh. Who p- was playing mother Muir College. Was? It Waz? Yeah, it was. Waz. It was was. Okay. Yeah, yeah, good memory. Good memory. And Yay. And that was yes, that was your first introduction. I think first official introduction to Drew and we're all watching Mother and yes, Remember, when you're in college, if our listeners are the same age and you can recall, <laughs> you could even be a little bit older and this still applies to you, mm-hmm. but we streamed, like, freetv.com. Like, there were no mm-hmm. streaming services that you had to pay subscription for. You had to have a cable service, yeah, and that's how you would get access to, like, online TV, or you just freaking pirated whatever, yes. right? And you can still pirate things today, but I feel like, mm. I don't know if that's on the down and down, whatever. Yeah, probably. But yeah, we used to watch Project Free TV, so we tried to get that shit going, and it kept buffering, so we didn't Love even get to watch, like, watch part Project of the scary Free movie. TV. You're actually the one who introduced me to Project Free TV. I was like, what oh. is this mecca of oh God, all the, the shows I need to watch? <laughs> <I know. laughs> all the mirrored videos. <laughs> Dude, did you
1: know, I don't know if I ever told you this, Megan, but apparently like back in the day, so Mm. my brother was telling me that when he was like 13 or 14, maybe 15, and this was like early 2000s, like maybe 2000, Uh 2001, right? Okay. Um, so- very much so like even more so streaming or pirating was a thing right because if not you would have to basically have a vhs tape and like tape whatever movie you wanted on live cable tv right and that's how you watch something or you had to like buy a dvd or go to blockbuster and so on and so forth right Mm -hmm. anyways so he my brother was really tech savvy at the time and he always tried to find these loopholes to watch all his like favorite movies because he was really into movies and Mm -hmm. I remember he would pirate movies and then burn yeah. them onto CDs and then give them to his friends. <laughs> yeah. uh, and he would do that with music too, like Napster, yeah, yeah. LimeWire, like good old shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, my dad got a letter from legit like the FBI saying wow. like, We're, we got activity from this address, from this IP address in this computer in this home yeah. that is downloading illegal m- content like wow movies. okay and wow. if you don't stop this we're gonna come get you
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 and
1: my dad of course raised this and he is a law-abiding citizen so he's like this yeah. could not possibly be for our home but then right, he realized right. he had a truant son so then he like went to <laughs> my brother and was like
0: what are you doing in my house? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how how in trouble? How in trouble did Sid <laughs> oh get? Oh my god,
1: so much in trouble! Like, but it wasn't even like there was consequences. It was just mm. like that angry Asian dad that yes. will look at you and give you angry eyes yeah. and guilt
0: and be like, "This is right, not who right, I raised, right." Don't right. Ever like get. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that goes across a lot of spectrums of Asian disciplining. Yes, there's no consequence except that. <laughs> It's your parent getting mad. Like that's enough yes, of a consequence. Yes, that is the you consequence. Know? Like, it's you severe, severe disappointment. Yeah. You upset
1: your father. The the <laughs> man of the house. Yeah, the one who feeds you, who clothes you, who shelters you. Right. As he will tell you in his right. speech, where he is angry at you, and yeah. you will be forever a disappointment. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say that is interesting though that the FBI was pretty much just like cease and desist. You know, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or you know you got. to... Stop this. I mean, it I... wasn't like an extreme thing.
1: <laughs> no, it wasn't. But they, but I'm actually surprised that they even went so far to even send a letter. I mean, like, I would think like what my brother was doing with small, small potatoes, but I'm sure it was like getting to be a big enough problem where they had to like crack down on it at some point. But yeah, my brother only told me that like maybe two years ago. I
0: was like, wow, that's kind of I'm, nuts. I'm thinking, I feel like if they sent a letter, that means it wasn't really small potatoes. He was pro- maybe he yeah, was maybe. like making some money. <laughs> Dude, downloading he so many I have that's yeah. not
1: something I wouldn't put past my brother he would <laughs> freaking do something like that but yeah so that was just like tidbit I had yeah so as I said I am so excited to get back into the science and back into the poisons and I'm pretty excited about this story I think it's super fascinating I think we're gonna hit it off with a bang so let's, let's I'm get
0: ready, ready. To, yeah. <laughs> I'm that ready to bang a ring. All right, here we, go, here we go. Here we go. All right, Harini, today is yeah. your day.
1: Mm, that's my day. Tell us
0: whatever the topic is. <laughs> What's yes. it gonna be, Harini? Pick your poison. Mm, mm. Okay, I am so
1: excited to pick my poison because it's been too long. I'm not gonna tell you what this one is about. <laughs> okay, that's that's okay. So, I'm playing the long con. <laughs> But it's all part of the plan. So I will say, though, that my sources mostly come from another episode of another Mm. podcast that I really love called Radiolab. But I got a lot of other information from other sources as well, such as Live Science, Caltech, University Mm -hmm. of Illinois, The New York Times, a great article by Mental Floss, which I will talk about in more detail later. Cause I'm going to actually quote from there directly mm-hmm. and um, wiki. And just mm-hmm. for everyone's reference, if they're interested, the radio lab episode is called something, but I'm not going to tell you right now. Cause I just realized it <laughs> reveals the
0: title. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. We are, Sorry. we are shrouded in mystery <laughs> right now.
1: Uh, I'm really like going for it right now. <laughs> okay. okay. Let's do this guys. Okay. So this is, first paragraph is going to come directly from the mental floss article so i'm just going to quickly give credit to who wrote it so this particular article which i will reveal the title later is by someone named lucas riley hmm. so thank you lucas all right here we go quote walter dimock didn't mean to jump out of his second story bedroom window he was queasy not out of his mind but on a mild October night in 1923, shortly after Dymock groggily tucked himself into bed, something within him snapped. Mm. Ooh. Like a man possessed, Dymock rose, fumbled through the dark, opened his window, and leapt into his garden. Hours later, a passerby discovered him lying in the dirt, still breathing. He was then hurried to a hospital. Dymock wasn't alone. Many of his co-workers were acting erratically, too. Take William McSweeney. One night that same week, he had arrived home feeling ill. By sunrise, he was thrashing at phantoms. His family rang for the police, and it would take four men to wrap him in a street jacket. He joined his co-worker, William Kresge, I think is how you say it, who had mysteriously lost 22 pounds in four weeks in the hospital. A few miles away, Herbert Fusen was also losing his grip on reality. He'd been restrained in a straitjacket as well. The most troubling case, however, belonged to Ernest Olgert. He had complained of delirium at work and was gripped by tremors and terrifying hallucinations. Quote, three coming at me at once, he shrieked, but no one was there. One day later, Olgert was dead. Doctors examining his body observed strange beads of gas foaming from his tissues. The bubbles, quote, continue to escape for hours after his death, unquote. New York Times article comes out stating, odd gas kills one, makes four insane. The headlines kept coming as one by one, the four other men died. Within a week, area hospitals held 36 more patients with similar symptoms. Okay, we'll leave it at that. And I'll come back to that story. All right. So getting into the main story, like I said, I find the story super fascinating. And y'all know by now, if you've been listening to our episodes, I love origin stories as well as stories Mm. that aren't super well known, Mm -hmm. uh, but absolutely should be. Mm -hmm. So today's story is about one of the most important scientists you have never heard of, Mm. Dr. Claire Patterson. And this is a man, Claire. Okay. (laughs) So let's start with his early life. Claire Patterson, who went by Pat was born in Mitchellville, Iowa. He was, by all accounts, a farm boy. He really grew up, like, think like Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn, like, tried and true American boy. He grew mm. up learning to hunt and fish and spent majority of his childhood outdoors, that type of thing. More than all of that, Pat was a very curious kid. He was that kid that would ask his parents a million questions, like, why is a drop of water round? Which is a good question. Hmm. He set up an entire chemistry lab in his basement at the age of 12, and he would correct his teachers in science class. He had an incredible ability to connect the dots that others weren't seeing. It was this kind of thinking that got him working on something called the Manhattan Project. Mm. In other words, creating the atomic bomb.
2: Mm.
1: So... Just before him working on the Manhattan Project, he was at the University of Iowa, and he was getting his master's degree, or he had already got his master's degree in molecular spectroscopy mm-hmm. after getting a bachelor's degree in chemistry. When he was at the University of Illinois, or sorry, University of Iowa, that's where he met his wife, Lorna, who graduated with the same degree. So the push to create an atomic bomb came from whispers overseas that the Germans were creating an atomic bomb. So in an effort to be one step ahead of the Germans, the U.S. began work on building one themselves, which I actually didn't know that was the impetus for them building the atomic bomb. I don't know if you were aware of this, Megan, but it makes sense retrospectively why that would be the push, but I had no idea that the Germans
0: were trying or attempting to build something like this. Yes, but I I thought it went beyond Germany. I just assumed a lot of people were trying to make something yeah during time. this time mm-hmm. yeah gotcha but I don't know a lot about it
1: <laughs> yeah I honestly don't either so it was, it was an education so somehow in the mix of this Pat's mentors over at University of Iowa suggest that he should go and join the war effort and work on the Manhattan Project I mean he may not be able to actually serve but they're like okay you have the great skill set for exactly what they need you should go help them create whatever this thing is of course, you're not going to know what the atomic bomb is or what they're trying to do and what they're trying to do with it. Everything is so hush hush. He just knows that he's going to help. He's going to help with the war effort. Mm-hmm. So he goes to work on this Manhattan project. Him and his wife both get to work on this project and they get sent over to Oak Ridge, Tennessee to work on the atomic bomb. Over in Oak Ridge, everything was very top secret. And this is kind of harkening back to even MK Ultra, where... Mm-hmm. People even sitting next to each other didn't know what the other person was working on. Like to that mm-hmm. extent, that's it's so compartmentalized. So Pat didn't realize that he was pretty much at the epicenter of this entire project since he was tasked with creating what goes inside the atomic bomb, mm. which is uranium.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But why uranium specifically? What qualities does uranium possess that make it this perfect deadly candidate for this type of job? So uranium is an element and is the heaviest element that occurs in our natural world. If you look at the periodic table, you'll see that uranium is not the last element on the periodic table, but it's the last natural element that occurs in our world. Mm, So everything mm -hmm. beyond that, yes, it's denser or heavier, but it's not natural, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just to go back to basic chemistry, every element on the periodic table is made up of protons, neutrons, and electrons. Each element has a different number of protons, electrons, and neutrons, and that's what makes it unique, and that's what makes it that specific element, as well as all the properties that it it has with that element. Uranium has the most at 238. So that is humongous Mm -hmm. for an element to carry that many protons, electrons, neutrons. Mm -hmm. The heavier or more dense an element is, the more unstable it is. And that is key to understand because the entire premise behind an atom bomb is to split an atom apart, mm-hmm. which uranium does naturally on its own because it is so heavy and because it's so unstable. So uranium is naturally radioactive. And as I mentioned earlier, it's unstable. So the best way I can describe it is is if you imagine Poison Pals, you're trying to stand on one leg, balance on your one leg. You might become stable for a little bit, but it's not going to be obviously as stable as you would be if you're standing on your own two feet. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, maybe you're okay. Okay. So then let's say you put 300 more people into the same small room as you who are also trying to stand on mm-hmm. one leg. Mm-hmm. Less room, more bodies. There's definitely more instability and someone is bound to run into someone and cause a topple.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Similarly, uranium is so unstable that it's in this constant state of decay looking for a more stable stable arrangement. So if you're thinking of uranium, it's balancing on one leg with all these neutrons, protons, 238 of them all in Mm -hmm. one little space. Right. And they're all trying to look how to balance on their two feet. Right. Mm. And while they're trying to balance, they're running into each other. And as they're running into each other, they're decaying meaning that they're mm. trying to get rid of the people in the room so that it becomes more and more stable.
0: I feel like your your analogy is creating a, a Squid Games visual. <laughs> in my head. Oh, God. <laughs> Wait, Megan, Anyways, did you ever wa- end up watching I it? still haven't seen it, but I've seen many clips on TikTok. She's like, I basically know what it is. Watched I watched yeah, the whole I'm... thing through TikTok. Exactly. <laughs> That's so funny. But yes, in a way, yeah. it could be like that. <laughs>
1: So, um, in fact, uranium was the element that made the discovery of radioactivity possible. Mm. So, just to harken back to one of our early, early episodes with the radium girls, Mm -hmm. in 1897, a French physicist, Henri Becquerel, Mm -hmm. left some uranium salts on a photographic plate as part of some research on how light influenced salts. To Mm. his surprise the plate fogged up, indicating some sort of emissions from the uranium salts. Mm -hmm. Becquerel shared a Nobel Prize with Marie and Pierre Curie in 1903 for this discovery. Okay, now back to our scientist, Pat. So remember Pat got his master's in molecular spectroscopy, so he's now at his job at Oak Ridge, and his whole job at Oak Ridge was to use this new machine at the time called a mass spectrometer. Mm. A mass spectrometer, you can think of it as like an atomic machine sorter so it Mm. sorts between all the protons electrons and neutrons Uh, and what it essentially allows you to do is isolate and identify individual elements within a piece of matter and in this situation he was using it to identify different elements and pieces of rock Mm. so (laughs) okay so i have in quotations to talk about my experience with mass spectrometry Mm. spectrometry and then thank God I like sat down right before this episode and talked to my dad about it. Cause I was going through this mental floss article mm-hmm. and it shows you a picture of what a mass spectrometer looks like. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that doesn't look like what I use in chemistry lab.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what like, were wait.
1: you? <laughs> yeah. So, cause I was like, wait, isn't mass spectrometry the one spectrometer is the one where it tells you um, like the different elements by showing peaks. And he's like, no, you're thinking about NMR which is totally freaking different it's just like a tiny little computer that spits out like peaks of like where your carbons and nitrogens and oxygens are and that's what you were using (laughs) that's what i was using in my chem 7 lab at ucsd this is like a gigantic machine that's like a football field big Uh, and i'm like yeah i did not operate that machinery So I- You're like, I'm we must have had fact fact a compact-
0: <laughs> Yeah, you're like, we must have had a compact version in the lab.
1: <laughs> that's literally what my mind thought. I'm like, um, they must have like figured out a way, technology-wise, to sh- make it smaller. No way. <laughs> okay. So Pat is taking these pieces of granite rock, pulverizing them, running them through the mass spec, and isolating the uranium that's found within it. Because uranium mm. is primarily found in rocks, specifically, not always, but mostly in rocks that are found in the ocean. Mm Because that's like the crust of the earth. Right, right. So Pat spends two years just doing this, just isolating these rocks and building up a store of purified uranium for the atom bomb. So having millions of uranium atoms in one confined space like a bomb is absolutely deadly. One atom will bump into another and cause that atom to split which then releases energy, and that just sets off a chain reaction to split the rest of the atoms. And that collective energy that expels from that nuclear fission is what causes that unimaginable level of damage from an atomic bomb. So, 1945, as we know, US drops the first atomic bomb in Hiroshima, then Nagasaki. Temperatures on the ground reach 7,000 degrees mm. Fahrenheit. Mm. Mm -hmm. And tens of thousands were killed instantly because of just like the heat. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, of course, more were killed after the fact because of the radiation poisoning. Mm -hmm. Pat stays said his mentors and the people he worked with did a great job of putting blinders on all the workers. So they only knew the ins and outs of that one piece of the puzzle that they were working on or that they were assigned to. Mm. So when all the pieces came together in the form Mm -hmm. of actually dropping a bomb on two different cities, it was a shock to Pat and his wife. Mm -hmm. Honestly, like, who knows if they genuinely knew the whole picture or not when they were working there. Mm -hmm. But there appeared to be regret from the two of them and maybe in feelings of Pat's expertise being taken advantage of in pursuit of destructive goals.
2: Right, right.
1: Either way, Pat left his position at Oak Ridge to try to get away as far away as possible from this kind of work. He wanted to do something like totally different. Mm -hmm. So he and his wife moved back to Chicago where Pat enrolls at the University of Chicago to get his PhD in chemistry. So while he's there, a professor at the University of Chicago calls up Pat and asks him, Hey, I'm trying to answer a question, and I think you can help me. Hmm. And Pat's like, okay, like, what's the question? He's like, how old is the Earth? Hmm. And for the rest of his life, that's what Pat ends up doing. Hmm. He pursues on a mission to figure out how old is Earth, measuring the Earth's age, which up until that point had never been
0: done. Hmm. Interesting.
1: Okay, so this is sort of where the story really begins. Because ironically, the key to answering this now purely scientific question comes from the same thing he was trying to get away from, which is uranium. Mm. So I touched on this briefly, but uranium is found in rocks. And as I said, they're constantly decaying to try to get to a more stable state. And the way that they do that is by releasing a proton here, a proton there. But when they do this, when they decay, it's not dangerous because it's mostly within rock formation. So it's stable that way. Mm. When uranium decays, it changes, it physically changes into a different element, a more stable element. So if you think back, every element, as I said, has a different number of protons, neutrons, electrons. And mm-hmm. the more of these you have, the heavier, the more unstable the element is. So by decaying, i.e. releasing a proton or a neutron here, the element becomes more and more stable.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it will decay to radium, polonium, bismuth, and then ultimately what it turns into is lead. Mm-hmm lead is the most stable form and that's where the transformed uranium will stay at forever and that's its happy, stable state. Got it. This process of decaying to the final state of lead is a pretty slow and it's a predictable process. So for example, if you see a rock or have a rock that was, let's say, pure uranium when it was formed and you look at it now in present day and see that there's about two grams of lead in it, then you can kind of mathematically work your way backwards to figure out when slash how long ago that rock was first formed.
0: Mm. Does that make sense? Yes. Does this have to do with half-lives? Or am I just like way no. off? Way off there? No, but okay, that's a good mind. guess. I was that's always bad. At, I was bad at chemistry just so everyone out there listening knows. <laughs> so no, if you're thinking like, yeah. what does that have to do with half-lives? Just know. I don't know a lot about chem. There we go.
1: No, that's a great question though. That's a great stab at it. But no, it does not have to do with half-lives. It's just now I'm getting out of my death because I'm like, is decaying like similar to half-lives? But no, it's it's just decaying to it that's what the term decay is when something is changing from one element to another by releasing protons or neutrons. Right. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha. So essentially from all of this the uranium provides this natural clock that allows you to actually date these rocks but the thing is how the heck do you know which rock is the oldest rock because there are so many freaking rocks on earth and i know because i used to collect all these freaking rocks as like a (laughs) four-year-old and so it's like how the hell are you supposed to find the one single rock that was created at the same time as the earth that just seems impossible and improbable the rock to rule them all (laughs) exactly but here's what we know about solar systems in general and when i say we i mean i just found out about this two days ago
0: (laughs) i'm so excited because that means i'm just gonna be finding out about it too i know
1: i'm like there's just like in the process of doing or preparing for this episode i'm like there's so many more smarter people out there (laughs)
0: I mean, okay. I no, know like, no. just know this. No, it's just they go into different specializations and different interests. That's all it is. It's it's not a, a measure of intelligence. It's just what are you interested in. And this is probably your first time really getting into rock uh, age telling, or you know, <laughs> yeah. rock fortune telling.
1: Anyway. Um, yes. Okay.
0: Magic rocks.
1: Dude, the guy who invented the pet rock. I hope he's yeah. a billionaire by now. That guy's a I genius. feel like,
0: yeah, totally. This could be one of those just urban myths, essentially. But I do feel mm. like I've heard that he's made millions on that movement. Oh, but again, like that could totally, totally be just like an urban myth.
1: Um. So our solar system mm. was created all at the same time. Meaning... Right it wasn't like jupiter was created first and then the earth and then mars mm-hmm. it was all created at the same time well i guess that's what the big bang theory is but yeah, that's what the same i assumed time.
0: yeah mm-hmm. that yes
1: mm-hmm. yes so i guess in general like when a because sol- there's obviously multiple solar systems in our mm-hmm. universe so when a solar system is created that is all created at the same time mm-hmm. a different solar system may have been created from a different time than ours but when a unit of a solar system is created it happens all at once it doesn't Mm. happen at different like Mm timelines if that makes mm -hmm. sense Mm -hmm. so based on that fact in the creation of the solar system one part didn't fully form as a planet and that was the asteroid belt
2: Mm -hmm.
1: one of these rocks in the asteroid belt was about 150 feet long which is about the size of football field and one of these days as it was just floating around another big rock gently Runs into this said rock and throws it slightly off course. Mm. And over many, many years and many, many years of time, this big rock starts to move closer and closer to the sun. Mm-hmm. Okay. So at, eventually, at some point, it gets super close to the sun. And around 48,000 years ago or 48,000 BC, so basically the Ice Age, this rock comes hurtling towards the earth in this fiery vengeance and makes impact. Mm. Some of that rock survives and is currently on display at a museum near the site itself, which is in Canyon Diablo, Arizona. This rock is only three feet long, what they were able to recover. Mm -hmm. And if you are able to pick it up and haul it back to your car, then you can keep it. Hmm. This three-foot rock is more than 1,400 pounds. Whoa. Just under a ton. So that is all to say. Pat knows for sure that this piece of rock was formed at the same time as the Earth, and therefore could help him answer this question of how old is the Earth.
0: Okay, well, sorry. go ahead. Go ahead. I feel bad if you just said this, but like, wait, how does how does he know mm-hmm. that this rock came from outer space? Slash, like, wait, I feel like I missed missed a part. He knew that this rock is as old as the earth because it came from outer space, which means it was mm-hmm. created at the same time as the solar system.
1: Yes. So okay. it basically, this rock is from our asteroid belt. Right. Because it was thrown off course and it's essentially a meteor.
0: Got it. Um, and that that's something- coming from the asteroid. Belt. Yeah. Got it. And that was something that was already documented yes. back in the, the 50s or 60s. Right. Before, like way before. Fifth, this is okay. like-
1: old old knowledge and it's just gotcha. kind of like sitting around
0: okay okay just, like, like in a museum, museum or purposes. something yeah. okay gotcha gotcha just gotcha like, uh, yeah i was like look at this rock i was like how did did they just walk across this find this rock and then no, okay, no, no, i no, told no. i i got you okay they had access to this resource already gotcha yes. gotcha gotcha yes mm-hmm. i'm having a slow moment today but that's no fine. girl all right no, here we go got it. <laughs> and
1: in the radio lab episode if you guys are auditory learners which you probably are otherwise you wouldn't be listening to this podcast um but if you listen to the radio lab episode they actually go to the site Mm. and to this museum and this guy one tries to pick up the rock and obviously cannot and Mm -hmm. then he also taps on it and it's straight metal Mm. like i'm trying to like
0: is there metal around me like there's that lamp behind you oh yeah there you go
1: oh yeah can you guys hear that
0: i can hear it
1: (laughs) Like, it literally sounds like that. Like this nice clinkling or tinkling noise, right? And it's basically one big chunk of metal, 92% iron, 7% nickel, and then 1% any other trace elements, including lead. So... He's got it. Like, he's got the resource right in front of him. He just has to measure it, and then he'll know his answer, right? But it's not that easy, of course. Before Pat goes for the big kahuna, he decides to test it on other rocks to make sure he has this method down to a tee first before he actually goes mm. for the real thing, which, mm-hmm. you know, like any good scientist, that's how you do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Pat takes granite, and he measures it. But the numbers he gets back are super off the lead content is through the roof for granite that he knows isn't that old and he couldn't figure Mm. out why and as you guys remember wondering like why does it matter how much lead is in there the more lead is in there it indicates the older the rock essentially so he was just kind of like testing his theory he just took a rock that he knows is relatively young but it had way more lead in it than it's supposed to so he knew like something Mm. was wrong Mm mm-hmm so what Pat decides to do is run a blank sample, which is pretty common in the scientific world. I remember, and Megan, I don't know if you remember, I'm sure you had to take some sort of lab at some point. Whenever you have to measure a sample of product in a lab, mm-hmm. it's always common to zero out the scale first to mm-hmm. count for like the weigh boat. You just wanna make sure that you're measuring everything correctly. Mm-hmm. And you have to take into account even the vessel that is gonna hold whatever the material is that you're measuring. So you always want to make sure you do a sample run first or even do like a, a zeroing out of the scale. Mm-hmm. So that's essentially what he's trying to do. So Pat was measuring the lead in just a plain vial. No, There's no rock inside. He's just measuring mm-hmm. the simple glass vial. So he measures the vial on his own with nothing in it. The measurement comes back positive for lead. Hmm. And then he realizes the glass vials are made from lead or has lead mixed into it. So mm-hmm. he special orders these new glass vials that are pure glass, no trace elements to be found in it.
2: Mm.
0: Runs
1: the sample again. Still has lead. What? What's
0: going on? What?
1: Something's contaminated.
0: Question Just mark, get question mark.
1: <laughs> <laughs> then he thinks about it. The sample he tested had water in the vial, and the water is coming from lead pipes. Jesus so Christ. So he's like, oh, my God. That's a problem. Which, by the way, guys, we still have lead pipes to this day. Yeah, yeah. It's just filtered better.
0: (laughs) Yeah. This is giving me flashbacks to our... I think we've talked about lead a couple times in certain episodes. But man, that shit is everywhere. Dude, for real, for real.
1: That That is the theme of this episode. Yeah. Okay. So, that's the problem, he says. It's the water. So, Pat triple distills his water and then captures the water in a glass vial free of lead. So no contaminations, right? He runs the sample again, and it's a little bit better, but it's still positive for lead. Without even putting this granite in it, remind you.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So Pat is all in at this point. He's like, all right, like what the heck is going on? Like He hasn't even started measuring rocks yet at this point. So he's on a mission to determine the source of this lead. So he takes a step back and looks at his immediate environment in the lab that he works Mm. in. He eyes Mm. the walls and sees that the paint is peeling. He tests the paint. Positive for lead. Lead. Yes. So he repaints the walls.
0: (laughs) My goodness.
1: The desk upon which the mass spec is sitting on is soldered together with lead. So he gets a new Mm. desk. He gets a new chair. And on top of that, wraps everything in saran wrap, including the floor, so that the mass spec has no chances of catching anything else in the room. Again, he gets the lead numbers to come down, but there's still lead.
0: It still needs to just go out into the freaking woods and build himself a log cabin lab. Dude, (laughs) a log cabin lab? Wow, I love that. Even the beakers are made out of wood. (laughs) Oh my God.
1: Just lights everything on fire. Uh, Then he notices Uh, his coworker is wearing lipstick. His coworker is made out of lead. (laughs) His co-worker is just like a hunk of Get a of metal. new co <laughs> His co-worker is a robot. Um, Beep boop. Beep boop pop. Okay. So then he notices his co-worker is wearing lipstick and thinks that the lipstick is messing up his sample. So he tests the makeup and lo and behold, it yeah. has lead in it. Yeah. <laughs> so no more makeup could be worn in the lab. Legit, that's a rule he makes. No more makeup in the he lab. He was like, cut your lips off. <laughs> God. <laughs> this is becoming a different type of story. <laughs> okay, so then one day, one of Pat's hairs falls onto the desk <gasps> and the lead number shoots up. That was a big aha moment for him. There's lead on him. Yeah. So he
0: shaves his head. <laughs> okay. <laughs> starts to starts to play himself. No more lead, no more lead. <laughs> <laughs> like Must honestly. be pure. <laughs> I'm
2: crying.
1: I'm crying. Sorry. <laughs> okay, no, but for real though, I I'm, I'm laughing, and we should maybe we shouldn't be laughing, but I'm yeah. laughing because honestly, like people think he's crazy.
2: Oh, like his yeah. his like.
1: Megan's like, I feel bad now. <laughs> yeah. No. No. I no, but, get it. I get. It. <laughs> no, but people legit like think think he's crazy. They're like, what the heck? Like, why is he so obsessed with lead, dude? Yeah. Like, just yeah. Do your experiments. It's fine. Right. Because you got to think of the time. Maybe I didn't even say it, but this is like in the 1950s, like yeah. a little bit yeah. into the 60s now. Right. People don't understand what lead is. They're like, why yeah. the hell do you care so much about lead? You know? Yeah. So it's a little bit understandable why he. They're like, what the heck is going on? Okay. So he doesn't stop there. He tests some of his skin cells, as Megan says. <laughs> and there is, of course, lead in his skin as well. There is lead literally in everything. Yeah. So Pat creates this anteroom, which is essentially the small room slash chamber that comes right before you actually enter the real lab. And mm-hmm. in the anteroom, you basically had to strip down to your knickers and put Mm it on this clean hazmat type of suit that was pre-washed and acid. You had to wear Mm -hmm. booties and an all-encompassing hairnet. He builds a positive pressure air vent so that no outside air was coming into the lab. The air is only going to go out. So, for example, even if you're wearing, after wearing all of that stuff and you still happen to track in some lead, the whole idea is that the air vent will push that lead out and out Mm -hmm. of the lab.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: With all of us together, guys, Pat invents the first clean room which is of Mm, course mm -hmm. very much still used today and it is so annoying guys i don't know if you guys have used a clean room before i've had to like suit up and boot up it was the worst thing i've ever had to do on rotation it is actually Mm. a pain in the ass and they make sure that you are Mm -hmm. zipped all the way up there's only certain places where you're allowed to step and like the floors are sticky just to like capture anything that you're tracking in Put on the Mm -hmm. booties, put on the whole suit, put on the hairnet, put on the mask, put on your gloves last. This is just one example of how he came to use it, and it's the first instance of a clean room being used. But Mm -hmm. the reason why it's so popular today is because, as you know, science progressed and medicine progressed, people realized that if you're not wearing a full-on suit for more high-risk drugs, such as chemotherapy drugs, you could literally like kill somebody. Mm -hmm. It Mm -hmm. has a huge impact, especially for example, if a woman is pregnant Mm -hmm. and they're in the hospital, and a medicine that they were taking was. Also being handled by someone who was using chemotherapy medications Mm. that could get into their system and harm Mm -hmm. the baby, like even Mm -hmm. just touching things and cross-contamination that way. That's why it's so, so important that you are very precise about how you handle these medications and even how you touch them, how you close them up, how you wash yourself. It's just like a huge part of what you have to learn in pharmacy school and I'm sure in, in medical school as well. Really important process that he invented. Okay. Eventually, with the implementation of the clean room, Pat is able to get his blank samples down to 0.1 microgram of lead pre-exposure. And wow. it took years for him to get yeah. to this point. Years. Yeah. And that's okay. The 0.1 micrograms, he can live with that. He's like, okay, I can mm-hmm. actually start measuring things now. We're good to go. And he hasn't even started measuring these rocks yet, people. It's <laughs> nuts. So true greatness <laughs> takes mm-hmm. time. <laughs> yeah. Finally, Pat is ready to test out the real thing. He's at the lab alone late at night. He pops a sample with the granite into the mass spec, and it calculates it to be 4.5 billion years old. Wow. That is how old the Earth is. Poison Pals, I want you guys all to just step back and just realize what a spectacular moment that must have been. Mm. This man is the only person on Earth in this moment to possess this information that is historically an essential part of we are as inhabitants of this planet right right of course pat goes on to publish his findings if that paper is equivalent to him posting on social media he mm. got zero likes and zero views right, <laughs> right. nobody cared <laughs> like yeah, literally yeah. no one cared how old the earth was seven right. years of his life for a nice to know fact yeah. quite honestly and,
0: and six of those were just making a clean room
1: dude yes which honestly like he's probably more famous for that (laughs) but all is not lost pat is a smart man perhaps he was expecting this response to an extent what he realized was that the true gold mine was what he discovered during the process of finding the age of the earth which Mm. was that lead is in freaking everything yeah everything including us is contaminated with lead yeah so he goes on a precious concept that lead is everywhere, but no one is buying it. They mm. think there was maybe just a bunch of lead in this man's lab, like specifically just in his lab, and maybe that's it. Mm. But let's say people did believe that there was lead everywhere, not just in his lab. So what? Is lead bad? What's the big deal, right? Right. right? There wasn't enough knowledge surrounding this element to really spook anyone into taking action, but this doesn't stop him. He takes samples of ocean water and he tests them boom shit tons of lead Mm. so it's not just in his lab Mm -hmm. again pat publishes his findings and the scientific community don't discount what pat found Mm -hmm. but they also again they don't care much like what does this mean to me like it it doesn't mean much yeah the thought process behind why people didn't care at the time was because they saw lead as natural it is of the earth it it is an element it's uh it's on the periodic table etc it is
0: a naturally occurring element and it's probably always been around. So whatever. Yeah. And it's and it's so hard to look at something that has been used in your everyday life. Mm-hmm. Like lead paint. That's yep. your example that we yep. use that beyond the 50s. You know what I mean? Like Dude, there was yeah. lead, as Ali said, like there was lead in our, our gas for our cars or oil or whatever. You know, like, you still see that at some old pumps. Sort of thing. Like, if your car needs lead oil, that's the thing that exists. So I, I see it more as, like, in the scientific world, they're, they're still, like, learning. But from a consumer standpoint, it's like, this has been around my whole life. And so yeah, what does sure. it matter? Like, do we need to be concerned that lead's in the ocean? No, because I'm literally drinking water from lead pipes. Like, why does that matter? Right. So, yeah.
1: Right. And also, I mean, I don't know if this is what they were thinking, but let's just say... I don't know like salt there's something in the salt that's going to kill you and you can't remove it It, right it's just how it's made and we didn't know this before so you shouldn't eat salt anymore people are going to be like what no I've been eating salt for years and I'm fine you know like I don't notice any difference you know right right more than that like it's a nuisance it's an mm-hmm. inconvenience so like mm-hmm. i can't just stop using salt it's in everything like it's in yeah. everything i use right like how yeah. can i just stop so i think yeah. there's an element of that it's like don't tell me that i can't be using lead or that lead's bad for me it's literally in all in so many products i right. use right and like, even how if you change all these companies from stopping using lead in their
0: products absolutely absolutely and that sentiment can go both ways of, of kind of what you're saying like well what am i supposed to do about it sort of thing like it's not going to stop me. But then there's the other side of like, maybe the a consumer doesn't have a concern, but they're like, but I don't have that control. I can't change what yeah. I'm, I'm purchasing because it's, right. it's, I, I'm not in that industry to make that difference. So, right. Yeah. It's
1: a huge task to change mm-hmm. that in general. Like you have to change entire industries if you think about it. So yeah. I think it's also just like monumental tasks that no one wanted to really fix. Right. 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 But Pat, thought it was too bizarre to have so much light in absolutely everything both the living and inanimate objects because it wasn't just in humans it was in the desktop it was in the floor it was in the wall you know it was literally in everything so he was like this is really bizarre like this couldn't have started his whole thing was like this is not natural and this wasn't always the way that it was he was so sure of that so Pat believes that lead wasn't always around. And the one way he could prove his theory is by testing the water slash ice in the permafrost. Mm-hmm. Because the permafrost, permafrost contains air particles that settled onto a snowflake that settled onto the ground and then froze over from thousands and thousands of years ago. So it right. is a perfect snapshot into the past of what the air quality was made up of at the time and even the water uh, mm-hmm. at the time as well. So it's kind of cool. The permafrost has layers to it, very similar to the rings in a tree, Mm -hmm. and it goes way back in time. So Pat takes his son out on like a field trip to Greenland, and Mm. they just pull out chunks of the permafrost, take it back with them to test in his lab, and what they found was fascinating. So he finds out that up until the 1700s, there's basically no lead at all. Mm. Nothing. Nothing in the air, nothing in the water. It was zero. Then starting up in the 1750s, around the time of the Industrial Revolution, you see lead levels go up and up and up and up. And in 1930, the lead levels skyrocket dramatically. So Pat goes, what the heck happened in 1930 to cause the spike, which has consistently remained? The answer, which you sort of touched on, was leaded gasoline. In 1921, car makers were trying to figure out how to get rid of engine knocking, which I don't know if you know what this is, Megan. I definitely didn't know. And I don't really get it either. I tried to look it up, up, but I was like, I don't understand the mechanics of this car. But basically, back in the day when driving your car, sometimes the engine would make this clicking or knocking sound, which was Mm -hmm. super irritating as a driver to listen to. So chemical engineers try to figure out a way to get rid of that knocking, how they got rid of it is when they put a teaspoon of lead into the engine.
2: The knocking Mm.
1: disappeared almost immediately. Mm. So that's how we got to leaded gasoline. Mm. By the 1960s, pretty much all cars were running on leaded gasoline, and that was going into the air and contaminating everything. Mm. Once again, Pat publishes his findings, and yet again, big yawn. No one gives a Mm -hmm. shit. People at this point think he's a bit crazy, And maybe Mm. drinking a little bit too much of his own Kool-Aid. People were like, "Okay, yeah, maybe there's more lead in the atmosphere, but it's not like there's lead in our body, so it's fine."
0: So (laughs) Patrick Saison has a challenge. And he's like, he's looking at them with his bald, (laughs) shaved head, and he's like, (laughs) "Are you sure about that?"
1: (laughs) His bald head and no skin. He's just bones. (laughs) He's just. She's like, "Are you serious?" Muscle, (laughs) fascia. This is not just a Halloween costume. Okay. <laughs> so, again, of course, as you can tell, like Pat doesn't ever stoop down to a challenge. So, he gets his hands on a 2,000 year old ancient Peruvian skeleton. He takes Damn. their teeth, grinds them up, what? and
0: uses them to make his bread. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> He's a witch. Okay, wait, sidetrack though. Where the what? hell is he? Okay, this is another thing that I love his about resources. this time period. <laughs> yeah, like, like. He could just get his hands on any resources willy-nilly in some Dude, museum or archaeological dig site, and be like, "Yeah, I'm going to use that to grind down their bones to test lead <laughs> in the environment." And people be like, "Green light!" Now you got to walk through all the red tape, which makes right. sense, but that is just absurd. I, I'm like, yeah, this was what? A,
1: this time was freeing. <laughs> you can do whatever the hell you want. It. Yeah, including grind some old ancient Peruvian teeth. So he he grinds them up and he measures them. For lead. as And as a point of comparison to that, he takes his children's baby teeth, grinds mm. them up, and <laughs> measures them. What he finds is that his kids' teeth have 3,000 times more Jeez. lead in them.
0: Jeez. which is crazy <laughs> oh my god how much lead is in my body uh. I, I know i was
1: just thinking the same thing around yeah. me I'm like, I the concentration in the atmosphere is more than a thousand times above natural levels and 600 times above the natural levels in the human body environmental scientists would go on to visit pat's lab they study his techniques and they use it to systematically remove lead out of paint and pencils etc so there's like slowly starting to have some people jump on board to what he's saying he eventually gets asked to speak in dc on behalf of the epa and they ask him the epa asks him what level of lead is acceptable and mm. pat just point blank goes zero mm. they're like yes yeah, we can't do that <laughs> <laughs> So at this point, there's lead in practically everything. There's lead in paint, in pipes, in glassware, in tin cans used for our food, Mm -hmm. even in children's toys. Just like everything, right? Mm -hmm. Eventually, on December 31st, 1995, leaded gasoline was officially stopped across the U.S. So Mm -hmm. you're not going to find that shit anywhere. Like maybe, maybe in like some old Gas stations, as Megan said, but mm-hmm. I-, I would say like 98% of you won't find yeah. that shit anymore. Right. Okay. So that's basically that story. So now we're going to mm. come back to what I said in the beginning. So, right. going back to the story in the beginning of those people going mad from this weird gas, the 41 patients shared one thing in common they worked at an experimental refinery in Bayway, New Jersey that produced tetraethyl lead a gasoline Hmm. additive that boosted the power of automobile engines. Their workplace Hmm. was operated by Standard Oil of New Jersey and had a reputation for altering people's minds. (laughs) And not in the way that you think is great. Okay. So factory laborers joked about working in a, quote, loony gas building. (laughs)
0: Oh, my God.
1: That's horrible. What what time period was this again?
2: Uh,
1: Yeah, no, definitely. This... I think this is like 1940s early 1950s. Gotcha. Okay, I think. Men were assigned to tetraethyl lead floor and they tease each other with mock solemn farewells and undertaker jokes. Oh my God.
0: I'm I'm literally just picturing like that scene from Zoolander where they're like spraying each other at the gas station <laughs> with all the gasoline. And I know that's not what's happening at this uh, factory, but it's like mm-hmm. kind of the same concept of like walking into just a unsafe zone and being hunky dory about
1: it. Right. And <laughs> it kind of makes me think about even the radium girls. They were just like, all right, this is my life. You know, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to lick clocks that have radium on it anyways. So what they didn't know is that, that workers at another Ethyl lead plant in Dayton, Ohio, had mm. also gone mad. The Ohioans reported feeling insects wriggle all over their skin. Oh, I know. One said he saw, quote, wallpaper converted into swarms of moving flies, unquote. Mm. And at least two people died there as well. And more than 60 others felt ill. Mm. But the newspapers never caught wind of it. So this is like another scenario of like the company being very hush, hush about goings on. Right. And at this point in history, people didn't know what made tetraethyl lead so deadly. One doctor theorized that the human body converts tetraethyl lead into alcohol, resulting in alcohol poisoning in the body. An official at Standard Oil defended the gas and stated these men probably went insane because they worked too hard.
0: Oh my God. (laughs) Horrible. He defended (sighs) gas. (laughs) what? (laughs) What? Ah, uh, I don't know what to even how to re- respond to that. <laughs> Just pure disappointment so and corporationism.
1: Horrible. And it's difficult, like, like going back to Pat, because this is before Pat was born. He was like a child when mm-hmm. this was happening in o- Ohio, what I'm talking about right now.
2: Yeah. But
1: even like going back to the future of when he was trying to preach about this whole thing and be like, guys, like, is bad? Like, we need to get rid of this thing. Right. He was up against General Motors. Like yeah, yeah. for him to be able to elicit change enough for them to get rid of leaded gasoline, that was huge. Like he was going against giants in the automobile industry.
0: Right. I think what also. Sorry, going back to that statement about yeah. the spokesperson being like, "Oh, it probably went mad because he's working so hard." This is also coming from a time period where, if you're working in a industrial role like that, you have to work. Yes. crazy hours to yep. afford for your family like and that's the expectation of the work culture so how dare they say that it's to so make bad. light it's, of that yeah it's generally
1: so bad mm-hmm. and the military had shortlisted it for gas warfare which i didn't know this so mm-hmm. it's a true lead is a true killer when leaded gasoline sales <gasps> decreased by 50 percent blood lead levels dropped to 37%. Mm. So just by being in the presence and obviously like as the emissions, like the Mm -hmm. lead is coming off of the emissions of the gas, Mm -hmm. we're breathing that in and that lead is staying in
0: our blood. Yeah. Lead stays in the body. Lead is one of the harder things that the body can't pass through essentially. Our renal system struggles with filtering lead Mm -hmm. out the body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's crazy to think that like we inhaled, gaseous forms of lead that just seems like crazy
1: for so long and on top of that other crap too like
0: victorian era and ages and beyond that like yeah yeah, yeah. that's why people are dropping like flies yeah okay sorry to interrupt i have a quick question so so pat obviously was trying to convince folks like hey let's try to minimize lead as much as possible if we can and that didn't take for a long time and then these stories of these factory workers going mad um Mm. were starting to come out but like what was the actual impetus for people to pay attention and start to actually research the lethal effects of lead since you just listed them like the it was it
1: was because of pat okay like they didn't uh understand that lead was bad up until he started to like yell at them for it's like guys no like i mean just think about how many times he tried to publish about his findings on lead and how Uh, pervasive it is Mm -hmm. and no one really cared until he basically was telling people like it's in us yeah it's in our bodies and it's staying in our bodies it's in your kids teeth it's in your kids blood like now do you care right know.
0: and was he the one who is also actively looking into the lethal effects as well as he's telling people like hey it's in our blood and bodies or is this i don't know if you know the history from that point
1: from what i recall he was not ever really looking into the lethal aspects of of lead he Mm. was more coming from the perspective of like this is not normal right like he's not like a toxicologist he's not like a medical expert right like he's more on like this purely like scientific side of things like just from a scientific brain perspective and his knowledge of chemistry he understood this is a not natural this is not normal and this is way too much to be in like it's too much to be everywhere and right. we need to do whatever we can to reduce that not only just for environmental purposes but also for public health and
0: safety right but like it, as
1: to like what those specific toxicities might be
0: that we yeah. would be reducing he did not gotcha pursue that yeah. gotcha just kind of that like just
1: the, not his area yeah.
0: the notion of like this clearly is not biologically how we are evolving this is another cause okay so uh, okay right. I got gotcha. you I got gotcha. you he yeah.
1: understood and and a lot of people when they think about this when they think of the whole idea of leaded gasoline which is probably like the biggest cause of this quote-unquote poisoning yes lead was in our paint and lead was in our walls and in our pencils it wasn't a lot of things mm-hmm. but I think the biggest cause of why it was so pervasive was from it being in gasoline because of those emissions and so many people were using cars and et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah. And people often look at this leaded gasoline invention Mm -hmm. or use of it as technically one of the biggest mass poisonings of Mm. history. Yeah. The way that he interpreted this, the way he was approaching it to people in the EPA and otherwise it's like we are poisoning ourselves. Yeah. I do not understand that we are killing ourselves very slowly. We are ruining our children's health and their IQ, which is what I was going to, that kind of brings me to that. Mm -hmm. A blood lead level over five micrograms per deciliter, which is teensy tiny can Mm. damage a child's brain. Mm. It can increase the risk of attention disorders. It lowers their IQ affects academic achievement Delaying mm. puberty just has a lot of lasting impacts mm-hmm. beyond the what we can just see on the physical level, right? Um, so, in the mid nineteen eighties, the Agency for Toxic Substances estimated that nearly seventeen percent of preschool kids had blood lead levels over fifteen micrograms per deciliter, oh, so goodness. three times more than even just a safe level. Mm. The problem was especially bad in urban black neighborhoods. About Mm. 55% of African-American children in cities had damaging amounts of lead in their blood. Mm. It's really sad because I think we sort of touched on this on a previous episode, but historically in these Latino and black communities, they Mm -hmm. don't have like the proper housing situations or Urban mm-hmm. developments that mm-hmm. some other richer, honestly white neighborhoods have, and their children are more exposed to these types of poisonings, including right. lead.
0: Right, like the infrastructure just isn't there mm-hmm. in those those parts of a city or yeah barrios or neighborhoods. Yeah,
1: I think that was it. Yeah, I was trying to find the rest of the story in Ohio, but I don't. I don't think they finish it.
0: <laughs> it's ongoing. It's an yeah, ongoing like, story. I. I want to do my own research. I want to look into what the data is currently on how pervasive lead is right now in this moment. Um, what parts of the country still see what would be considered large amounts now that we have that knowledge and now that we have those protections in place to to not mm. be using lead. Okay, this is kind of like a long walk to water. but Sure. So I was going to say, it's interesting that you chose a episode about lead because I was just reading something on the San Diego Reddit. And it this is... What? There's, there's multi- a San Diego Reddit? There's a San Diego Reddit. Yeah. It keeps I me totally up to date don't. on what's going on in the, oh, in the cool. San Diego that's area. Cool. But the original post was... I'll just read the original post, but this is not really where I'm going with this. So the original mm. post goes... In the latest episode of Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, his main story was about was about the homeless crisis facing America. He bashed NIMBYs, which stands for Not In My Backyards, which mm. I'll ex- explain that as it, uh, is in a moment, for their opposition to affordable housing in their neighborhoods, and he uses Claremont as an example of the toxic attitude of NIMBYs. Yeah. So long story short, uh, an episode of Last Week Tonight with John Oliver mentions a neighborhood in San Diego and how... They have like uh, this culture of NIMBYs, um, which not in my backyard describes the phenomenon in which residents of a neighborhood designate a new development, such as a shelter, affordable housing or group home, Mm -hmm. or change in occupancy of an existing development as inappropriate or unwanted for their local area. So anyway, so that's just like the starter point. But then someone commented, they kind of gave their own experience of being in that situation. And they wrote, they wrote, I don't think the, quote, granny flat approach is the right answer to solve San Diego's housing problems. I say this as someone who has been living in a newish back house for six years in Normal Heights, which is another neighborhood Mm. in San Diego. Our house is two stories and many times larger than the house in front of us. The landlord is knocking down the front house, but hired bottom of the barrel contractors who were creating a toxic lead hazard by not following EPA or city guidelines regarding lead Hmm. paint. The demolition was actually stopped by the city when they inspected the site. These contractors didn't give a shit that they were going to be scattering pounds and pounds of lead dust into the immediate environment something that would have persisted and potentially poisoned residents for years to come oh I'm my pretty God. sure yeah I'm pretty sure the contractors were selected because they did the lowest bid but they hired untrained mm. workers and were not prepared to deal with these sorts of issues Holy So God. yeah I know that's like multiple point wow. multiple steps to get to where I was going but I was like Wow oh, that's so crazy like that stuff can still happen is what I'm trying to say here That's so, crazy Yeah it's it's wow. terrifying. Knowing that we have that knowledge of how lead is lethal and toxic and all yeah. that and like people will still cut corners, you know?
1: Because I don't think people really like I'll be honest, like I don't think the average person understands how deadly lead is. Like I right. think people understand to a certain degree, like, yeah, lead is bad for you. Like remember lead paint? Like that's why we don't do that anymore. But right. like what about it is deadly, I don't think people understand that nuance enough to know like like it's not scary it's not immediately
0: scary enough for people to be like oh shit like i don't want that to happen to me i also wonder okay well here's the deal like i bet in like construction that if a company is doing things right they have all that training that stuff is in place their 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 hired workers should know about all that right that's because that's the industry that'll be the most heavily hit or are the most liable and can be sued, and that's just a pain. So if they're doing it right, they right. probably have all that training. But I suspect on some levels is mm-hmm. the general public, as we move further and further away from the concept of that time period where we were using a lot of lead and then recognizing, oh, shit, this isn't good for us. So, for example, like I didn't really know lead was a bad thing until... We did these podcast episodes, but I knew that it wasn't necessarily around because of what you just said, like, oh, we don't use yeah, lead paint agreed. anymore because it's poisonous. What I, how do I simplify what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to say, like, I think we're moving so far away of when things progressed, like when, when we put those protections in place, that we don't even bother to look into the history. I would say, yes, you're right. Like, the general public agreed. doesn't really know because it's not in our expectations in life or our job expectations unless you're probably in construction or something to like know Mm that. Yeah, Agreed. Uh, I I found what I was sort of looking for which is like
1: a way to wrap up this episode with some quantifiable numbers. Mm. So just to round this out we heard from Pat and his findings that there is pretty much no lead in the atmosphere at all or or any lead in us and inanimate objects living objects etc up until the 1700s, then it started to skyrocket, go up and up and up until the 1930s, and then continued to rise. Mm -hmm. So here's a little bit of a recap on where we're at now. Mm. Okay. So in the 1970s, lead in the atmosphere peaked to historic highs, because that's like peak of us using leaded gasoline. It has since cratered to medieval levels. Mm. Okay. Right on, which is a good for big us. Hooray! Yes, yeah, good for us. Right on, as you said. In the 1960s, drivers in more than a hundred countries used leaded gasoline. Mm. Today, that number is three, and I want to look at what that three is. Yeah, <laughs> which three? In 1975, the average American had a blood lead level of 15 micrograms per deciliter. Mm. Today, it's 0.858 micrograms per deciliter. Okay, not bad. Not bad if we had to choose <laughs>
0: <I know. laughs> gotta shave our hair uh,
1: and, and didn't you say were you I think it was your episode when we first talked about lead didn't you say that it's also in like hair dyes there
0: yes there are uh yes there's some in hair dyes I think there was also another toxin that I was talking about that's found in hair dye but lead is one thing that yeah that's like right next to your brain <laughs> Just put it as close as you can to my brain. Yeah. Stick it in there. (laughs) Okay.
1: So on that note, in 1975, or no, a 2002 study in environmental health perspectives found that by the late 1990s, the IQ of the average preschooler had risen five points. Nice. Yes. Needleman writes, the blood lead levels of today's children are a testimony to his brilliance and integrity. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so that's some happy numbers that can quantify. Clearly what Megan said from that Reddit post, it's not entirely gone. There are still a ton of houses that were built a long time ago, or not even that long ago, but built in an era where lead was still heavily used for paint, or even maybe I'm sure in the construction of homes itself. Mm -hmm. So just something to be aware
0: of and think about. Damn, thank you for that, Harini. I feel like it's a healthy thing for us to continue every once in a while doing like these PSAs (laughs) and just being like uh, vigilant, you know? I like that. And it's
1: also, I think the aspect about the podcast that I really like, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, it has like always like an element of true crime, Mm -hmm. but I think what's really, yeah, (laughs) yes. Uh, But I think what's really fascinating is even if you're in a science major or a mm-hmm. healthcare major like myself, like these are the pockets of information that, as you mentioned very astutely,
2: mm-hmm.
1: we don't talk about anymore. Yeah. Like it's so far removed from us, from our generation in particular, because mm-hmm. a lot of these mess ups and mistakes and discoveries happened in a short amount of time. Like I feel like this almost like kind of clumped together when you look at history as a timeline. And it's so far away that we don't even think about them anymore. So it's important to just re-educate ourselves as a collective on these types yeah. of things.
0: And it's it's um I, also we're at an age where we're we okay, maybe we're not interested in the history, but we're capable of recognizing the importance of the history behind yeah. it. So yes. I think yes. we are, I can say we are interested in the history, but even if you're not, I'm talking about like the general public, you mm-hmm. would in no way would be like, oh, I wonder what the history of lead is about. And when did FDA laws came into place around lead usage or whatever, right? Even though we might not actually be interested in it, like we can recognize that it's important to know that stuff. So I appreciated this as obviously an education but also like like we need to know these origin stories like you said earlier yeah. so yeah thank you so much for that super Absolutely. super cool I mean yeah and yeah. like
1: I mean I, and it's I think it's personally for me like I also thought it was just like an interesting story because it's just like this guy's life went so many different directions first he worked on the freaking atomic bomb right then he he's the person to figure out the age of the earth and then it led him led him to this <laughs> <Led> <laughs>
0: So him it's just lead. like a,
1: it's a twisty turny one yeah. it's, it's kind of cool yeah. and i'm curious now because this is something like i hope and aspire to do one day which is to get a home that's maybe a little bit older mm-hmm. and then renovate it maybe even like knock it down and build it back up to like how i would love it to be like a dream home yeah so now i kind of know like if that's the case and it's an older home i should be cautious to make sure i have a good contractor Mm -hmm. and a good person that i'm working with that understands these laws and regulations and to know ahead of time like does this shit have lead in it? (laughs) right yeah yeah absolutely we don't want to be
0: anywhere near that absolutely um man i'm sitting here in my my old ass beach house of a room and i'm like (laughs) I'm sure that's asbestos on the ceiling. <laughs> like, oh, my God. <laughs> well, Speaking of PSAs,
1: and mm. this is the last thing I'll say, I can't remember. So lem- remind me if I have already yeah. said this, but I talked to my dad, like he was in the bay at this time, but I talked to my dad like a few weeks ago because basically our dryer blew a fuse or something like it was basically like on fire. <laughs> and so we had to like move it outside. And we thought maybe it was because of the dryer lint, like someone didn't like right, take right, it out right. in time or whatever. But it wasn't anything to do with that. It just was faulty and old maybe. Mm. So we like put it outside. We stopped using it. But the duct that it attaches to, mm-hmm. it kept smelling like smoke, like mm-hmm. fire. Mm-hmm. And we were getting concerned, oh no, like is this safe? Is it producing some type of gas? Like my mind was literally going like carbon monoxide yeah, poisoning. Yeah. I called my dad. I was like, dude, it's like making this weird smoking smell, but obviously it's not carbon monoxide because then you can't smell it. Mm. But anyways, I was just so concerned. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I don't know, like we should probably do something about it. And then off the cuff, I asked my dad, I'm like, hey, do we have a carbon monoxide
0: detector? Mm. And he's like, no. Why do we need one? Oh my God. What? Papa my B. I'm dad. shocked. I know. I thought he would be the the last person to ever respond that way. Dude, I'm not, you know, I'm too. not judging Papa B. I'm judging. my like
1: <laughs> What? I'm shocked. I was mortified yeah. that that was his response. And I got so angry. That I was like, what do you mean? Why do we need it? <laughs> Did you just
0: drop the phone? I just see you drop the phone in slow motion. Phone shatters on the ground. You immediately go to Home Depot or whatever.
1: No, for real. Because I was like, what? What the heck? Like, what do you mean we don't have? It was one of those things where like I asked it knowing full well, the answer would be yes, we have one. Yeah. It just like more for my own peace of mind. Yeah. So when he said no, I was like, Oh fuck, that's not what I thought you were going to say. I'm like, dude, we've been living in this house for years without a carbon monoxide detector. Dude. Okay, so then he goes on to say... He's like, why would we need a carbon monoxide detector? Like, like what are we going to die from? From carbon monoxide poisoning.
0: From, car- from carbon like- monoxide poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I guess he was like, what
1: would cause carbon monoxide yeah. poisoning in our house? Sure, sure. So I'm like, I listed it out Yeah, Because yeah. he's like, we don't live in a cold place. Right, like, we're right, not right. bringing our not our heater but the generator indoors yeah things like that i'm like we still got a stove yeah and my mom is notorious for leaving the stove on Mm. and she She has a note
0: on our garage door she did leave the oven on that one time but i don't know if that was uh it was for such a brief moment, but I remember you noted it. You're like, mom, the oven's on. And she, yeah. I was like, <laughs> I was like, it is warm while I'm standing here. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. See?
1: But anyways, he told me, he's like, if you want one, go get one from Home Depot. He's like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> wow. I'm
0: like, okay.
1: And this is something you guys, Poison Pals, Um, I, I did it in a video, but... You should know that your house does not come with a carbon monoxide detector. Yeah. You would have to ask for it or get it, get yourself. it yourself. And yes. that includes new construction. Yeah. Like as soon as you become a homeowner, it is on you to figure that shit out. Like the only thing that it comes with by law is a fire dete- uh, smoke alarm. Sorry. Mm-hmm. But a carbon monoxide detector is like an extra thing that wow. you have to so do. So Which is crazy
0: to me. Yeah. Yeah. So fascinating. Yeah, if they you're a renter. Yeah, well yeah. If you're a renter, they should be checking it on you. Because the, then yeah, by they're liable. Yeah, yeah. Damn, dude. I'm shook. That was some news just now. I'm sorry you've been living without a car. I mean, I was living out without one for a minute too. My and I told that story. Wait, a while so you back. did get it. Oh yeah. It, that's been like resolved for some time now. So we have one. Okay, good. It's under my desk and plugged into the wall. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I will say we're probably at considerably less
1: Risk, but it does happen yeah. in San Diego, guys. Yeah. Like, it literally happens, and and I told you, like, I was only on poison control for six weeks, mm-hmm. and it happened like four times. Yeah. in the six weeks I was there, yeah. in San Diego, yeah. So it does happen for a variety of reasons, and you don't want to be there when that that one reason
0: happens. Totally. <laughs> Let's go into. Do you have anything else to talk about? No, all good. I actually really loved this episode. I yeah, I love a cool. good. It's a good jumping back in away from the silly, spooky stories into like, hey, this is serious <laughs> yeah. business, you know? like This is <laughs> important. Um, so thank you, Harini, for that. Absolutely. My antidote is, well, I had a fantastic Halloween weekend with Harini and Dave. It just reinforced my love of hanging out with you guys. Like, seriously, <laughs> you're everything I need in a friend. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> the Yay! energy just matches so perfectly for me. <laughs> If you don't feel that way, that's okay. You don't have to tell me.
1: <laughs> oh my God, that is not the case.
0: But that is not but the case. We're like the perfect puzzle uh, piece for you. I other. just had a blast. That little triangle of you, me, and Dave. Like, it was just a good <laughs> ass time. So, that's part one of my antidote. Thank you for letting me, or, you know, thank you for giving me, you. yeah, giving me like such a great Halloween weekend. My second part of my antidote, we are in November. We're recording in November. I want to joke and be like, it's my birthday month. That is, is, it's really not the case because my birthday is November 26th. It's literally the end of the month. So I feel like (laughs) I'm in a position where I can't claim a birthday month because it's so late in the month. But that's not true. I guess it's up to me to decide, right? Like it's up to me to make it true true or not. Long story short, I'm excited that my birthday is coming up in three weeks. That's it. (laughs) Or four weeks. I'm excited. Yeah.
1: Yes, we are going to plan something spectacular. We're planning to do something joint mm-hmm. this year, which I can't believe. And I told this to Megan outside of the podcast, but I could not believe for all the years that we've been mm-hmm. such, such good yeah. friends, that we have never done a joint birthday. And for people wondering, like, why the hell would you do a joint birthday? It's because our birthdays are relatively close We're, to each other. I think like, there's
0: only a week or two weeks. There's... Officially, I think we're two weeks apart, but there's only one weekend between our birthday yeah. weekends sort of thing. That's right. You know? That's right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, there's that nice little mutual ground where we could come together yes. <laughs> sort of thing. Agreed. Honestly, my antidote
1: was similar, but um, <laughs> I I really enjoyed Halloween. Guys, we had a great time. But more than that, like I'm just, my antidote is just taking a step back and looking at October in general. Mm. I think... Every year I've had a great time. Like I usually throw like a Halloween party and like do something just like around Halloween. Mm-hmm. But I think this is the first October where I've literally done something every yeah. <laughs> week. Yeah. That's like Halloween related and dressed up with multiple costumes and did actual halloweeny things like watched good halloween movies did my nails yes went to the store and did the halloween thing we crafted it was just like a very festive holiday october month for me and that that really filled my soul and most of it was with megan who (laughs) always fulfills my like (laughs) crazy halloween adventures so it was like fun to do that with a best friend so It was a good time. It was a really fun time. And another antidote that's related is I'm really enjoying how many people were crafting their costumes Mm -hmm. this year. Like there was a lot of homemade costumes, which I loved. And I think we're getting more towards like I honestly saw a lot less girls being like like a sexy costume Mm -hmm. and more just like really crafting the shit and having like a good well made costume, which is like yes. yes, hell yeah, yes. like go for that.
0: Yeah, I enjoyed that. I agree. That's my to I like to see the creative juices flowing amongst yes. my peers. Maybe I've already we're started back
1: into craft, uh, a cr- like the craft nation of the '90s. I know. Yeah, bring back pet rocks <laughs> and macaroni <laughs> necklaces. Bring back. <laughs> bring back macaroni necklaces. Bring back the the singing fish. Yeah, and the pet rocks.
0: Yeah, yeah, and chia Love pets it. and and jelly shoes. I do love me a good jelly shoe. Those never went away in my mind. Yeah, I, that's I, 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 true. I do that's like a true. good jelly shoe. Anyways. Jelly shoes are forever. Yeah. <laughs> Even though <laughs> they make your feet stink. Okay. okay. All right. Well, Harini, On that note. <laughs> would you like to take it away? Yes. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Duh.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, every time I forget, like it's the first time. <laughs> Don't risk it for that 2000 Peruvian... Teeth biscuit.
0: (laughs) I love it. That biscuit sounds real chalky with that teeth crowned up in it.
1: But it's lead free, so nothing to worry about here. There we go. Okay. Bye, Poison (laughs) Pals. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.